Blog Talk Radio. Good evening and blessings and welcome to another installment of the Gist for Freedom of Faith. This show is produced by acclaimed historian, educator, and author Leslie Gist and serves as our weekly live online discussion to celebrate the African-American experience by honoring all the people, past and present, black and white, who with faith and focus are preserving our rich history through literature, the arts, the skilled trades, and the humanities. We thank you for joining us tonight, and we'd love you to be a part of tonight's discussion by calling in with your comments or questions to 347-324-5552. Good evening, everyone. My name is Preston Washington. I'm your host this evening for the Gist of Freedom stationed here in Kansas City, Missouri. My guest tonight is William L. Katz, author and historian, and he's here to talk about um, his book and relative to black Indians, or we should say Indians with African ancestry, and uh, as it relates to Indian resistance to colonization and slavery. Uh, good evening, Mr. Katz. Good evening. How are you, Preston? I am tonight. Good. Good. Oh, I'm fine, thank you. Okay. And raring to go. You've written quite a number of books. How many books total have you written? Forty. Forty. And some of those were co-authored? Uh, yes, two, two or three were co-authored, right. Okay. And uh, your latest book is entitled, could you give us that title again? Black Indians, A Hidden Heritage. And this is the uh, the revised, updated, and expanded edition of a book that I did uh, some years ago, and it was very popular, only <clears throat> I uh, needed to make it larger because I had so much more information than when I first wrote it a quarter century ago. Okay. And uh, could you tell us, um, in reference to the book, who is uh, a few of the outstanding characters or individuals in that book that our uh, audience should know about? Well, there there are many people. There are um, people going all the way back to the uh, what I call the first freedom fighter, Hatui, who uh, led a resistance <clears throat> that ended in his death uh, exactly uh, 501 years ago. On February 2nd, 1502, he led a resistance uh, on the island of Hispaniola that included people of African descent, Native American descent, against the, the Spanish invasion. And then when he realized he was about to be overcome and his people overrun, they got in canoes and they paddled their way to Cuba to warn the uh, uh, Cubans and others in the Caribbean of the dangers of the Spanish invasion. So it made him not only the man to uh, become the first freedom fighter, but to make the fight for freedom in the Americas, a pan-American uh, fight for freedom. 
he was trying to arouse the other Americans, the old that he could reach, starting in Cuba. And by the way, there's a monument to him in Cuba. He's a national hero there. Uh, and and he's, he's just one of the uh, early heroes. And what was his name again? And could you spell that for our listeners? Yeah, Hatui, H-A-T-U-E-Y. If people are interested in him in particular, uh, they can go to my website. I have a whole essay on him where there's a picture of, of the uh, statue to him in Cuba in the essay. And my website is William, uh, www.williamlcats.com. And, and under essays, they'll find a number. People can find a number of essays that I've written on the subject of black Indians, and uh, one of them will be there on Hatui and the First Resistance. Okay, that's Hatui, and your website is www.williamlcats. That's K-A-T-Z. Yes. Yes, that's it. Sure. Okay, great. And that was in Hispaniola, and you said there's a statue in Cuba. Yes. Of him. Okay. What other um, islands or individuals of note that had ties to either Mexico or Cuban, Cuba, South or Central America? Well, it's funny. You mentioned Mexico. And uh, the, the relationship between... Mexico and the United States regarding people of African descent and black Indian descent is very important. For example, I don't think many people know that in 1829, a Mexican general named Vicente Guerrero, who really helped, you know, drive out, uh, drive out Spain and establish a, an independent Mexico, he was selected as the president of Mexico. He was a mixture of African and Native American descent, and his accomplishments were astounding because he not only wrote the Constitution of Mexico, he abolished slavery, he abolished the death penalty, and he had laws passed to prohibit discrimination. So if you talked about Mexico and you talked about the United States, you'd really have to compare them, in a sense, to George Washington, because he was both the uh, liberator of his country, uh, helped write the Constitution, and he was also the Abraham Lincoln of his country, and that he abolished slavery illegally in 1829. <clears throat> and he was he's just one of the heroic things. I have a very good picture of him in, in the book. I don't know if, if you have a copy there, but I have a rather magnificent picture of him. And oh, I just could mention to your listeners that uh, my book is heavily illustrated. I use pictures a lot, uh, photographs and old line cuts to prove the point, because when I started writing about this subject many, many years ago, I knew people would not simply take my word of every, uh, all of these facts that I was giving. So I used a lot of pictures as documentary evidence. Yeah, I'm at your website now, and uh, there are some great pictures here. Um, I would really uh, suggest to our listeners um, that they get over there. And also the essays, uh, kind of scrolling through those, and they seem to be very thorough. Um, I'm on that page now. 
and references. And that actually goes on for several pages down at the bottom. I think there are something like close to two dozen essays, and many of them are taken from black Indians. So people don't have to buy the book. They can go there, you know, if they don't want to have the whole book, and they can read the essays for free and enjoy themselves. Okay. So you uh, had something on Lincoln, the movie. Yes, December I December 2012. What were your thoughts on Mr. Spielberg's effort? <laughs> well, uh, although, I mean, he's a magnificent filmmaker. I don't think anybody can dispute that. He has been for many years. What what he did with the Lincoln movie, I, I found um, upsetting as an historian because he, he focused on a four-month period uh, be- between January 1865 and his death in April 1865. And he, uh, by doing that, <clears throat> he really left out the whole story of how black people who were in chains, four million of them, really not only fought for their own freedom, for their own emancipation. Lincoln got credit as the great emancipator. But I've shown in in Black Indians in my other books that there was a movement among African Americans, sometimes aligned with Native Americans, to wrench themselves free and to establish their their own liberty, regardless of what the president or the uh, Union armies did. And certainly they were helped when the Union finally decided to go for emancipation. But I I also pointed out in my review of the Lincoln movie that it was the pressure of black people escaping from slavery, going to the Union lines, offering to help, uh, serving as spies against the Confederacy. You have so many instances of Union soldiers trapped behind Confederate lines being hit. helped by black people. Matter of fact, one soldier says, it's quoted in the newspaper at the time, this white soldier said, to see a black face was to find a true heart. And so black people were pushing the agenda that led to Lincoln's emancipation. Lincoln came to it late. He didn't start the war to free the slaves. Matter of fact, he was really on a different track. He didn't care what happened to black people. He said as much. He wanted to save the Union because the Union <clears throat> to him meant saving white people. But it was the pressure of black people escaping and that finally convinced him. Two things. One is that this was a force that he could rely on to upset the enemy. By pulling the black people out of the South, by offering them inducements to free the plantations, the South would suffer severe losses in agriculture, bringing their crops in. There would be disruptions. Soldiers would be worried about what were, uh, at the Confederate soldiers at the front would be worried what was happening to their families back home. And then, as black people continued to offer to serve, black men that is, continued to uh, offer their help to wish to serve in the Union Army and Navy, He had stumbled on, he, Lincoln, had stumbled on an enormous reserve force that he could draw on, that the enemy couldn't draw on. So by emancipation, he was both stripping the enemy of its strongest source of support, its labor supply, and at the same time, he was creating 
for the Union Army and Navy a reserve force of thousands and thousands of people. Uh, actually, I think the figure was 186,000 African Americans served in the Union Army in the Civil War. It was one-tenth of the Union Army, and they came in late in 1863 on. <clears throat> As a matter of fact, one-fourth of the Union Navy were black sailors. And I just would add, because people also don't know this, 18 black men earned the Congressional Medal of Honor during the Civil War. That was the first time it was awarded. And uh, although black officers were not allowed until the very end, black soldiers were there and they fought and they were important in some of the battles. They captured important cities such as uh, Wilmington, North Carolina. They marched into Richmond. When President Lincoln came down to survey Richmond after it was captured, it was a black cavalry unit that escorted him around the city. And by the way, who was there to greet him? It, was, it wasn't the white population. It was the uh, black population that came out to greet him. And the same in Charleston. You also have an essay um, relative to uh, a black Indian march for peace in 1861 and 1862. And, uh, yeah. Yahola. Is that how you pronounce that? Opatla Yahola. Opatla Yahola. Yeah. And uh, tell us a little bit about Apatha. Let me spell that for our listeners. The first name is <laughs> A-T-O-T-H-L-E. And the last name is Y-A-H-O-L-A. Yeah. He wrote a letter to uh, President Lincoln. Tell us a little bit about it. Yeah, no, th I'm, I'm glad you brought this up because this fits right in with what I was saying about what black people were trying to do. Okay, Apatla Yahola was actually a leader in the Creek Nation. The Indian Territory, where the Native American nations had been forced to go in the Trail of Tears, was in uh, what we now call Oklahoma. And if you look at a map, it was surrounded on three sides by the Confederate states. It was infiltrated by Confederate agents, and they, the federal... Uh, the Confederate government compelled, bribed, whatever you want to call it, these Native American nations and said to them, look, you got no choice. You have to stick with us. So a number of the Native American nations, among them the Creeks, the Cherokees, Chickasaws, and so on, thought just to their best interest that they had no choice to sign on for the Confederacy. But Apostle Yehola, who was a Creek chief, he was a very rich man, by the way, he had his own big plantation, and he had slaves also, by the way. He said, no way, we are not going to fight in a white man's war, and you know something else, we're not going to fight for slavery. Well, his stand really appealed to thousands upon thousands of Native Americans and the African Americans who were members of their nations there. And he, at one point on his plantation in North <clears throat> East Oklahoma gathered 10,000 people, men, women, and children. And as I said, they didn't want any part of the war. So he knew that there were many others among the other nations who also uh, didn't want the war. So he sent the word out, and then he followed with his group. They did not head north 
to go up to Kansas, they actually started circling around trying to reach other nations, the, the ones that had signed on with the Confederacy, and said, come join us. They knew they would pick up support. But what they didn't know was they were soon attacked by the Confederate cavalry. And they were attacked on three different occasions. And by the way, the Confederate cavalry at the time included some Native Americans who had been induced once their chiefs had signed away their freedom of choice to fight. But in one of the battles, at least, the Native Americans and the Africans, um, um, uh, black Indians among them, actually deserted to join Apostle Yehola's group. Now keep in mind, Apostle Yehola and his group, they weren't out to make war. They were out to stay out of the war. I, I guess today we'd call them pacifists. But when they were attacked three times, it was the middle of winter, and it was around November, December, 1861, they said, the heck with it, we're heading north. <clears throat> and they headed up to Kansas. And at Kansas, they got across the border, and they were safe. And a, uh, a number of them had died on the way. I think there were only 8,000 by the time they arrived in Kansas. And by that time, having been attacked by the Confederates, having decided they were really against slavery, a number of the young men... Uh, decided they were going to enlist in the Union Army and Navy. And they did. And this is before Lincoln's Emancipation Proclamation. So what I was saying before, this is an example, an exact example, of how people of color fought before even Lincoln thought of emancipation and before he even opened the Union Army and Navy to emancipated uh, African Americans. It was a very brave effort on their part, and it was the uh, largest black Indian march against war and for freedom uh, of that time. Now, you mentioned that Yohola had slaves. Were they indentured or were they enslaved by chattel slavery? No, they were, <clears throat> they were chattel slaves uh, of his, but they got their liberty, and actually any of the other slaves people enslaved by the other four nations that came to him were granted their freedom. That was part of the agreement. So any black person that joined this marching group of his became free. And they had all these families with them. And it was one big march for freedom in the middle of a war. Matter of fact, in the, begin in the middle of our most destructive war that took something like 600,000 lives. Yeah, and you mentioned that on his way to Kansas, he was attacked by Confederates. Um, yes. One of those Confederates was a Cherokee Indian by the name of Stan Wadey, uh, or Wadi, who became a general, I believe, in the... Yes, in the Confederate forces. And was the only uh, Native American to reach such rank. Now, those uh, individuals with Yahola that made it into Kansas, did they become, uh, you said they went and joined the um, Union Army, and this was before the emancipation. Yes. Are these the individuals that General Jim Lane, who was a Kansas senator, um, <clears throat> are these the people that he signed up to fight? Yes. He signed them up. But let, let me just tell you, <clears throat> Jim Lane was a politician. 
and he was a he was a good friend of Lincoln, so he could kind of get away with this. But the miraculous thing that happened is that when these forces got to Kansas, in the Union Army at that ta- at that time, serving with Jim Lane, were a group of people <clears throat> who were abolitionists. They were actually fervent abolitionists because in the 1850s when there was a bloody civil war in Kansas over the issue of slavery, they rode with John Brown, the famous white liberator in Kansas who rode to free slaves and to help keep Kansas a free state. So it was what what came, I'm laughing because what came together in Kansas when Apostle Yehola and his forces got there, the army units that formed, in a sense, were integrated there were white officers who were abolitionists and these African-American, Native American, and black Indian soldiers who were glad to serve with them. And uh, after one battle, for example, they uh, they were so pleased. They I, Oh, I know what it was. It was Emancipation Day, 1863, when Lincoln issued the Emancipation Proclamation. These men who had already been in battle, who had proved to Lincoln and everybody else that black men would fight because the Confederates claim, oh, our our former slaves, they'll never fight. They're scared of us. Well, these men fought, and they fought very well. Anyway, on January 1st, the first Kansas Volunteers, that's what we're called. There was also a second Kansas Volunteer. They had a, a big party. They had some hard liquor that they shared. They had a barbecue and they sang the John Brown song. And after they finished, some of the men, among them, some of the black men, said, and we're carrying on the job that John Brown began. And the white officers were delighted because they had started with Brown, this job of liberation. And all of this, I just want to point out to your listeners again, all of this happened before the Emancipation Proclamation really went into effect and before black men were generally invited and recruited into the Union Army. I want to remind our listeners that they can call in 347-324-5552 should they have a question or comment. And uh, I will mention that website again, uh, www. William L. Katz, that's K-A-T-Z, dot com. Uh, You'll find some great pictures there, great essays um, relative to freedom fighters. And um, also, you might want to look into uh, the Gist of Freedom website, maintained by our producer, Leslie Gist, author and historian. Um, you have something up on your um, page here, a reference to uh, Wildcat and a jarring horse. Yes. Who were okay. African Seminoles in uh, Florida. Yes. Yeah, and, they, they uh, were two of the leaders. Battle. Excuse me? Yeah, I say it looks like they waged quite a battle. Tell our listeners a little bit about uh, Wildcat and John Horse and uh, <clears throat> what they did to. Okay. They were both uh, born around the time of the War of 1812. And 
what? Let me just tell you a little bit about Florida. Uh, Florida was claimed by Spain, but it was really first explored by people of African descent who lived uh, uh, in, in the Carolinas, in Georgia, in Alabama, and they escaped. Now, I know a lot of your listeners thinking that the un, are thinking the Underground Railroad only went north. You know, it went up through into New York State, up to Canada. It did. But people who were enslaved were looking anyway to escape. And the people in those southern states found it easier to escape south through the brush, get into Florida, which the Spanish didn't care too much about. Matter of fact, during the colonial period when they first started, they were welcomed by the Spaniards who didn't like the English who controlled the 13 colonies. So they were established there in Florida by 1776, when the Seminole Nation, which was a uh, break-off segment of the Creek Nation, they felt ethnic persecution. They left the Creeks and headed south, and the Africans in Florida took them in. They not only took them in, but they taught the methods of rice cultivation that they had learned as Africans in Senegambia and Sierra Leone. And on this basis, these two peoples of color formed a, a military and agricultural alliance. And uh, right around this time of 1812, two men were, were born in, in, in Florida. And one was Wildcat Okawakichi, a Native American. And the other was John Horse, or in Spanish, John Kawaya, of African descent. And they didn't meet till much later. But from the, the time they were born, United States forces were invading Florida, trying to capture the Africans, defeat the Seminoles, who were their allies. And uh, three wars were, were fought against these Florida Seminoles. Uh, the first, second, and third Seminole Wars. They went on for 42 years. And I have to tell you, listeners, the important thing is the Seminoles were really not defeated. They fought the United States Army, Navy, and Marines to a standstill. They suffered losses. They had to move their families out of harm's way. And they faced off against the strongest military power in the hemisphere, the U.S. Army. But they lasted and they fought on. By the Second Seminole War, the, the great leaders had become... John Horse and Coacache. And uh, they, by then, they were really good buddies. They were about the same age. And uh, once they were in prison, but they escaped together. And they, mount, they helped mount this resistance that fought off the United States <clears throat> Army and Navy for so long. Uh, they finally agreed that they would go to, uh, they would be moved out to the Indian Territory out to Oklahoma, and they were led out there. I will point out once again to your listeners that the United States tried to get the Seminole Nation to surrender the Africans among them as slaves. The Seminoles flatly refused. The Seminole Nation moved out to Oklahoma as it was a multicultural nation. Uh, we have to understand by this time the Africans and Seminoles were intermixed. 
they were sister and brother, mother and father, son, daughter, and and so on. And the, this is important. They they were thoroughly mixed, and the uh, Red Seminoles would no sooner give up their black brothers and sisters than they would give up anybody else who was a, a relative of theirs. I mean, I can continue this story because it goes on and on. I have three chapters in Black Indians about John Horse and John uh, and uh, Coacachi and the Seminoles because they have a very exciting history both in Mexico and then in Texas. I would really suggest to our listeners that they uh, look up that book and make a purchase on it uh, to read up on that. Individual, there's just so much more here to talk about, and I know that you're um, cramped for time tonight. I understand. Well, I've got about ten more minutes. Okay, um, and I also want to um, advise our listeners that in reference to Leslie Gist and the Gist of Freedom website, there's another option to contact and to view the history that she has, and that's at www.blackhistoryuniversity. Dot com. Uh, Mr. Ketz, um, Olvera, uh, that's O-L-V-E-R-A for our listeners. Isabel, is that her first name? Yeah, Isabel is her first name, right. D-E-L-V-E-L-V-E-R-A. Right. Uh, African-American uh, or Native American with African ancestry. Right. Uh, tell us a little bit about her and her story in reference to sure. Native American. Well, she's very early on. This is a, We don't know much about her except she left an incredible document written in the year 1600. Now, I, I'm saying this slowly because I think your listeners have to think what the year 1600 means. Jamestown, people didn't leave and land there until 1609. You know, the first Africans enslaved didn't even come into Jamestown until years later. Plymouth Rock didn't come until later. In 1600, this woman, who is a mixture of African, Native American descent, uh, is in Hispaniola, the headquarters. No, she's in Mexico, uh, a town near Mexico. And she wants to be put, and she's free, and she's unmarried. And she wants to go on an expedition the Spaniards are launching to go out into the southwest, to go out to what we now call New Mexico. Mm-hmm. And she goes, excuse me? No, I'm just, go ahead, continue. Okay. And uh, she goes before a a magistrate, probably the mayor of this town, and she brings in uh, two witnesses. One is an enslaved man, and the other is a free person of color to be her witnesses. And she fills out an affidavit saying that she's worried what might happen to her on this trip. So she wants to have it stated and notarized that she's of African descent, Native American descent, unmarried, and free. And she just makes this statement to carry with her this document so that nobody will bother her. And the last sentence in it reads, I demand justice. So Isabel Olvera becomes the first person of African descent, Native American descent, 
to make a statement, a written statement of protest about her conditions in the Americas. Unfortunately, that's all we know about her, just that one statement. But I have that in, in full, the whole paragraph in the new edition of Black Indians. And I think it's something that, you know, we really need to be part of our history because what we celebrate when we talk about freedom and we talk about the demand for justice and anti-colonialism is we celebrate a b bunch of guys, who white guys who went to Philadelphia in 1776 uh, and wrote a very precious document about all men being created equal, but some of them were slaveholders and they didn't include slaves in their definition of all men. Of all men, yes. Um, yeah, that's a remarkable story about Miss Olvera. Um, and that was recorded, I understand, 19 years before the first 20 Africans arrived yes. in Town. And <clears throat> that's do we correct. know do we know how she if she was African and she was there 19 years uh, before the first No, no, she was there. Recorded. No, no, no. The the Spaniards were there in the Americas long before the English came. The Spaniards arrived here in the Americas. They didn't. They weren't up in, in the northern part where the United States is, but they were down in the Caribbean and in Florida, uh, going back to 1502. That's when they first came over with the governor of Vando, who was the second uh, uh, viceroy of New Spain which was uh, headquartered in what's now Haiti and the Dominican Republic. It's called Hispaniola. So the Af Af people of African descent were there with the earliest Spanish explorers. Uh, they were, some of them were on Columbus's ship as well. I have a, uh, a line drawing uh, done many hundreds of years ago, even showing that in, uh, in the new edition of Black Indians. Okay, I see here that she claimed to be the legitimate daughter of Hernando. Yeah, that's... Oh, good, you got it. Yeah, You're that's right. part of... Yeah, you got name. the whole document. Yeah, yeah. See, she, 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 she gives her whole lineage. You know, she's establishing all of the known things about her that are indisputable. She's putting them down. It's just like when slaves had to carry... When they got free and they had to carry free papers... You didn't let those get out of your sight. They stated, you know, who your former master was and that you were now officially and legally free. So that's what that great document that she got the mayor to sign does. It protects her legally. Yeah, and she says right here that her, uh, apparently her mother was an Indian by the name of Magdalena. Mm-hmm. But I'm a little confused. says the le uh, legitimate daughter of Hernando a Negro. So Hernando was Spanish and black. He was, he was, well, what she's saying there, he was of African descent. Uh, there, there could have been a Spanish mixture in there. I, <clears throat> I don't know, but what she's also using the word legitimate, meaning that her mother and father were married. See what she's very carefully doing. Preston is she is showing how, completely legal she is as a free person. She's telling everything about a background that anybody could want to know and the legit legitimacy of her claims. 
see. I want to mention your website again to sure. uh, our listeners. Fascinating website. Uh, www.williamlcats.com. Um, are there any videos, documentaries, uh, museums uh, that you could recommend for future scholars, including any colleges they might want to attend? It's really well, good to out there. Let me. Well, there is a video called "Black Indians," which uh, was was done by somebody else. I had nothing to do with it. Some people use that. I find it has too much focus on the present day and nothing on the <clears throat> history. But people may be interested in it. At this point, there are no black Indian museums, but there are museums in Florida that discuss this story. I mean, they can't avoid it because the African and Native American connection determined the history of Florida. It made Florida what it was. The United States actually went to war against Spain to capture Florida because of the strength of this alliance, this freedom-fighting alliance of Africans and Native Americans that was so strong. They, uh, slaveholders want to get their slaves back. They wanted to crack the back of the alliance that was a beacon light to other slaves in the uh, in Georgia and the Carolinas, escaping southward to Florida. And uh, you can't understand the history of Florida without understanding the the uh, history of this relationship between these two peoples. Mm-hmm. Same situation in Texas. Well, in, in, in Texas, you have an interesting thing. This is, uh, this is the other Underground Railroad. We know that 3,000 people of African descent lived not in Texas, but they fled Texas before the Civil War and got into Mexico. This was a kind of a a free-flowing, you might call it an underground railroad, except it had no stations. They had to keep going until they got southward, until they got to the Rio Grande, and they, they got over there. And by the way, part of them was this group we were talking about, um, led by John Horse and Coacache. In 1849, they picked themselves up from the Oklahoma Territory, where they were being harassed by slave catchers. They crossed all the way uh, out of Oklahoma into Texas, headed south, got to the Rio Grande, and with the white posses shooting at them, they got first ferried their women and children across the big river, and then the men uh, crossed and got into Mexico. Now, it's interesting. Once in Mexico, these men were so skilled at hunting and fighting, the Mexican government hired them. President of Mexico at the time hired them, Santa Ana was his name, to guard the the Texas-Mexican border, the Rio Grande, because (laughs) these guys were incomparable at tracking and everything. And with them on the border... Mexico figured it wasn't going to have that much trouble with uh, slave-hunting posses coming across and all of that. So they spent about, let's see, from 1849 to, let's see, I think it was 1870, yeah. When slavery ended in the United States, John Horse, uh, uh, Coacache had died back in 1857, but John Horse led what was left of the African-American 
uh, and other Seminoles back to Texas. They were now free. They negotiated a treaty with the U.S. They came back with their ruling monarch, Chief John Horse, as a nation with their women and children, promised land, and they uh, they did have to agree their young men would serve the United States Army this time as border guards and as, uh, you know, people that would, uh, well, uh, having the power of arrest. They would be like border police. And that's another whole story, what happened to those men who were then called the Seminole Negro Indian Scouts of the U.S. Army. But they rolled up quite a record and, uh, as I said, were governed still by their chief, John Horse, although this time they were also led uh, by uh, white officers because of the uh, bigotry and segregation of the time. Uh, are there some uh, historical markers there in Brackettsville, Texas, I believe it is, in reference to those Seminole Scouts? Yes. <clears throat> and there's a cemetery there. And I can, uh, your listeners might want to know, the the leader of the black Seminoles in Florida, I'm sorry, in Texas, is William Dub Warrior. He and his wife, Ethel, are there. And I, I talk to them Regularly, I'm, I met them at this conference where I gave the keynote speech on the uh, uh, Underground Railroad that went south. And uh, we're friends. He supplied me with a lot of information. He is still there, and, and I can also tell people that he also highly recommends my book, Black Indians. He's given it to many of his friends and relatives. And uh, he's still there, and they're still kicking. They're, they're, they're taking care of their the cemetery that they have of their great leaders, four of these black Seminoles in the uh, 1870s won uh, the Congressional Medal of Honor, defending the border, fighting off rustlers and so on for the U.S. Army. A, a, a very heroic story that I cover in a whole separate chapter in Black Indians. Right. Now, John Horse, you mentioned him. I'm a little confused now. What was John Horse's uh, Indian name? And could you spell John Kawaya. Kawaya. Okay. Can you give us a spelling on that? I think the spell. <laughs> I'm I'm trying here. It's it's Spanish. It's C O Y A. Kawaya. Oh. It, it's it's Spanish for horse. Okay. And his his uh, co-leader. What was oh, his yeah. name? Oh yeah, John Kibbit was his assistant uh, over over the many years. Yes. That's K-I-B-B-E-T. T. I think they're two T's. Two T's. Okay. Okay, well, here again, again, that website, www.williamlkatz.com. Really encourage our listeners uh, to get over there and take a look. And... Uh, a very uh, fascinating website that I'll probably be spending a little bit more time with uh, as well. But do you have any closing remarks, uh, Mr. Katz? I really appreciate your staying over, uh, sharing this vast amount of knowledge that you have. Any closing remarks before uh, we get off the air? Uh, well, I, I, I think I, I would say to people, uh, and it's the reason I wrote this book too, too that 
this is an important history. We've usually associated our great fight for freedom with Thomas Jefferson's and Benjamin Franklin's and George Washington's. And and what I point out in, in Black Indians, that it goes back centuries before that, and that the people who did it did not look like Benjamin Franklin and Thomas Jefferson and so on. In other words, what I'm saying is they were people of color. And by the way, they were women as well as men, and they fought valiantly. They didn't have the best equipment at all times, but boy, they uh, they certainly did well with what they did. And my second point is that we have to know this because our, the way the history has been taught in our schools, it's given everybody, whether it's black kids or white kids sitting in a classroom, the wrong impression that only white people built this country, only white people initiated this country, only white people fought in the American Revolution, only white people fought for freedom. And it's simply not true. It's demonstrably not true. And as I say, I use my black Indians to show that both in uh, text and documents, such as we've talked about, and in pictures. And, I, I, you know, I think it's a lesson we, we have to get along. This kind of material should not be only in classrooms. It should be, this should be in the media, in movies, in TV programs. Exactly. But other than a Lonesome Dove 2 and, uh, and the movie Posse, you rarely see this. Okay. Well, again, I appreciate it. One more little point here. Sure. Before I let you go, you mentioned the video about the black Indians uh, that is more contemporary and doesn't go far back. Was uh, that a video that Angela Walton Raji had anything to do with? Do you know who that is? Yeah, no, I know who she is. Uh, she is a, is a genealogist. Right. And I I don't know whether she had to do with This was done by a Native American uh, group. And uh, perhaps they were new to the subject, or perhaps they were more, you know, comfortable dealing with people who are alive today and were, you know, very pleased about their mixed ancestry. That's fine. I'm just saying, as an historian, I, I would have really told a dramatic story of how these two people fought to be together you know, and, and fought uh, for democracy in the United States long before there was the United States. Okay, great. Well, maybe we can have you back again in the future. There's so much sure. more to talk about, uh, particularly that um, 1842 slave revolt there in Indian country. That's that right. Not too many people know about. But perhaps we'll have time in the future where Leslie can get us together again and we can mm -hmm. uh, take up this subject again about black Indians. Again, thank you very much, Dr. Katz. Uh, well, thank you, Preston. I appreciate your, your questions and that, you know, you were willing to spend this time to get this important story out. I think it is important, whether it's, it's adults very important. or children. And thank you very much. Thank you. And Good best night. to Leslie. <laughs> okay. Good night. Okay. Well, there you have it, folks. Um, we're done now with uh, Mr. William Katz. This has been the Gift of Freedom. I've been your host, Preston Washington, here in Kansas City, Missouri. Uh, our producer is Leslie Guest, historian and author, and you can contact her through the the Gift of Freedom website or www.blackhistoryuniversity.com. If it's Black History, it's Leslie Guest. Good night, everybody. Mm -hmm.